All right. Please make sure you have a packet. Uh, we have uh, some left over here down by the baptismal font. I think I broke Pastor Bruzek's microphone. Don't, don't tell him it was me. <laughs> Uh, all right. Welcome back, or for some of you for the first time. Uh, we're going to be reading through this stop list again. Today we'll do, I'll, I'll do more playing and less talking. That's the goal. Um, I want to clean up one thing from last time, which is I realize I didn't explain uh, what difference any of this makes to your, to your life personally. We, miss, <laughs> we missed the application point of the sermon. Um, Remember last time, if you're looking at page two, which is the main page in this packet, the spec, the spec sheet, remember we talked last time about how the second column, the pitch column, refers to uh, the length of the lowest pipe in that rank. Uh, and I just want to show, especially just conceptually, as I think about how to accompany hymns especially, which is, of course, the main purpose of the instrument, how the different pitch levels make a difference to how singing is led or how things sound. Um, so let, let me just give an example. So remember we talked last time about how the eight-foot pitch level, all the eight-foot stops are the stops that sound at concert pitch, and the 16-foot stops sound an octave below, the four-foot stops sound an octave below, uh, above, and so forth. Um, let me give you an example. This is how I, th I think, if, if I can remember right, this is how I had the Kyrie registered on the first week with the organ, and then I'll explain why we changed it, and you can see what difference the pitch level makes. So originally, I think I accompanied it something like doo -doo -doo -doo, um, something like this. And we all had the we all had the same reaction after the service, which is that uh, the singing was dra was dragging too much. And so the uh, the strategy then became. Let's take away uh, some of the volume at the eight-foot level, the concert pitch level, and let's add another octave above. So what I played for you right there, that was just eight and four-foot level. So what we did now and what we've been doing since is we added the two-foot because the two-foot sounds two octaves higher than you all are singing, which means it kind of pierces through the sound a little more. Does that make sense? Because it's high, you can hear it more clearly because it's a more piercing sound. So now when we do the Kyrie, I use this registration. And that seemed to have fixed the problem. So uh, sometimes what we do is, in order to get the pacing right, so you realize, if you've ever sat up here, you realize the singing is always like a half a second behind the, uh, the organ. At least that's the way it sounds up here. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, if it becomes more like a second behind, then you, know then you know there's starting to be a problem. So one of the things you can do is you can keep adding higher and higher pitch levels to make the uh, pacing or the tempo clearer, and that's a way of leading. Now, there's also a principle to doing the opposite, which is adding a 16-foot. So generally when I accompany him, you always start with like an 8 and a 4-foot. You start by playing at concert pitch, and then you add an octave above. That's kind of your standard foundation. You can add two feet and mixtures above to kind of encourage the pacing, but you can also add 16 feet below. Now, if you just played, for instance, with like eight and 16 feet, it would sound, uh, it would sound super muddy, uh, like this or something. Let's see. So here's eight and four by itself. 
Now, I might, if, if, the, if the singing seemed to be uh, uninspiring or if the breathing seemed to be uh, not adequate, that's when you would add the 16-foot because it gives it sort of a they sound, a certain gravity, and it encourages people to breathe deeper, at least I think it does. So if I add the 2-foot and then the 16-foot, you can hear that there's a sort of a, a new gravity to the sound. So it's almost felt more than heard, right? That low kind of rumbling sound, but it encourages, uh, it encourages better breathing and better singing. We don't use it all the time, just like we don't necessarily use the two foot or the higher pitches all the time, but I wouldn't say that there are effects, but there are strategies we can use to encourage different kind of singing. Does that make sense? But I just wanted you to get an idea. It's not just all about the mathematics and physics we talked about last time. There's a, there's a practical purpose to why the organ functions that way, and how we use the various pitch levels that the organ has available to us. Um, let's just very briefly go over kind of the guts of the instrument and how it works. I know some of you were poking around here beforehand. Uh, often it's just asked, you know, how does the organ work and where does the sound come from and all that business. So let's just, let's just do the three or five minute version. The, the diagram, this is obviously not a picture, it's a, a, a drawing, but if you look at page four on image 14, that's sort of the best um, sort of one picture diagram I could find of how the whole thing works. Uh, and you can refer back and forth from that picture to the various photographs that I've taken beginning on page three, which I've entitled The Guts. It's the stuff that you don't see, but that makes everything work. So the, uh, the journey begins back in the blower room back there with image four. You can see it's a, it's a blower motor, just much, much like I often describe it to kids who come up for tours. It, the organ pretty much works just like a bouncy house, which is you have, you have some blower that you plug in, and it blows air into... Uh, either not here, you know, a princess castle, but here it blows air into the organ. But it works the same way. You have a blower, an electronic blower. Remember last time we talked about the possibility of blowing the air in manually by having some sort of a pump. Uh, we were just talking a minute ago. And an organ of this size, you would have to have the pump uh, be pumped with your feet or your legs because you could never pump an organ this, uh, of this size just with your hands. You would fatigue way too quickly. Um, but anyway, we have an electronic blower, obviously. Uh, the air goes from the blower in image four to the bellows in image five. And you can see there in image five, there is already some, uh, there's more now, but there's bricks on top of the bellows, right? The weight just helps to keep the pressure constant through the bellows. Then uh, the air goes under where I'm standing here. Uh, some folks from the congregation spent time crawling around under the balcony for a period of weeks putting giant, uh, I think it's just PVC pipe under, under there, but the uh, air flows in pipes underneath and it shoots up. Um, you can see, for instance, in image seven, you see there in the middle of the caution tape, there's like a big wooden column with a plastic bag underneath. There's no longer a plastic bag here, but the wind comes up through the floor, through the pipe, and it flows up through that wooden column and up into the wind chests. And the wind chests are just uh, reservoirs of uh, air the wooden reservoirs of air that the pipes stand on. That's where the pipes get their winding. And you can see how that works there in that, uh, the little drawing there in image 14, where if you press a key, you, see, you can imagine if you press that little uh, orange key, 
that end, it's just a series of like fulcrums, right? That end goes down, the back end goes up, it pulls that rod, which makes something else pull down. It's just, this, it's just a series of mechanical parts that are connected to each other that at some point controls a valve which allows the air to, that's already flowing into that chest, it allows the air to flow in, first into the rank of pipes and then into that pipe specifically. So the whole organ works like a grid system. You have the stop action, which runs uh, this way. And if you look at, um, uh, at you look, if you look at image nine on the previous page, you can see the motors for the stop action. So the stop action on this organ is electronic. That means you can almost, if you are super quiet, you might be able to hear it. If I pull on a bunch of stops at once, see if you can hear this. I don't know if you can hear that echoing even all the way down there. It makes a loud noise. It's a bunch, there's a bunch of motors, and if you uh, pull a stop, it activates that motor, and it allows the air to flow into that specific rank of pipes, which is, which is going this way. And then if you press a key, which of course the keys are pointed that way, if you press a key, it intersects with the air that's flowing that way, and it allows the air to flow into that specific pipe. So the whole thing functions as a grid, and, but the, the main point is, uh, by pulling a stop and by pressing a note, you, you open a valve that allows the air to flow into the specific pipes that you're, uh, that you're playing. Um, you can see uh, on image, uh, like image 11 and 12 there, how the, uh, how the action actually works. So when you press one of those notes, it pulls, you see in image 12, there's like a, like a thousand looking strings there. Each each little string is attached to a note, so when you, pull the, when you press the note, it pulls the string, and uh, you see those uh, sort of metal dowels there in image 12. That's the roller board that extends the action horizontally. So if you had, if you had an organ that had only one note, you, know, you would just put the pipe right in front of the note that you're playing, and you would press the note, and it would open the pipe. But because the pipes are wider than the notes, you have to have pipes that are at the very ends of the case, and so you need to have some way of distributing the action horizontally. Does that make sense? So when you press a note, uh, it turns one of those metal rods, which at the other end of the rod is connected to, uh, connected to the pipe. And that's why the case can be wider than the keyboard is itself. Uh, and you can see that for yourself if you come in here and poke, poke around in the case. Um, so that's, uh, that's how it works. Uh, uh, today, we want to spend most of our time just reading through the stop list and hearing the various voices or sounds that the uh, organ can make. Uh, generally, organ stops, and you, uh, I should b back up and say, the reason we call them, so you, realize, you know the phrase pulling out all the stops, right? The reason they're called stops is because when they're pushed in, the air is stopped from flowing to that rank of pipe. So if I pull out the trumpet stop, no longer is that uh, the air stopped from flowing to those pipes, but the air is able to flow. So that's why they're called stops. It's just the same as saying sounds or voices or something like that. Um, uh, generally, uh, organ voices are grouped into four families, which I will just briefly explain and then demonstrate. Uh, the first family, and the sort of the foundational family, is the principal family, and that's the family that uh, sounds like an organ. <laughs> there's, there's, no, there's no other way to describe it. Uh, it's just the sound that's made when uh, sort of a normal-sized pipe has air blowing through it. So let me, play, uh, let me play a short piece with just the principal family, and then we'll go to the more colorful stops uh, from there. So here's, 
principles alone, which is all we did, all we did last week, by the way, all principles. Before I go on past the repeat, so the, uh, the mixtures are also principles. Remember we talked about the mixtures are the stops that add a very high unisons and fifths to the sound, so the, uni uh, the mixture is also principle. Okay, so that's the principal family. The second family to know about is the flute family. And if you're looking at your stop list, you can already see uh, a number of stops that are called something flute. And we'll go through them in a second. But first, uh, just let me show you what it sounds like. Generally, the difference... Uh, so the first three families, principal, flute, and then we'll look at strings next. All of the pipes are constructed in the same way. They're called flue pipes, not to be confused with flute, flue as an F-L-U-E, and they're pipes just like you would imagine. You blow air through the bottom, and they have a lip where the sound comes out, and that's the pipe. The difference, so a principle is the sort of normal pipe. Generally, flute pipes are of a wider scale. In other words, they're not as narrow. And as you widen the scale of a pipe, it becomes... Uh, it, the, the fundamental pitch becomes more prominent and the overtones become less prominent with some exceptions. So remember last time we talked about how whenever you, you know, if I sing or play a note, you not only hear the note that I'm playing, but you hear a series of uh, overtones and harmonics on top of that. The flutes, as you'll hear, is a very, uh, it's a sweeter and broader and in some cases a kind of a tubbier, you might say, sound because the fundament, because the wider the pipe is, the more prominent the fundamental pitch is. So here's an example of a flute. I'll play, I'll play this piece at, uh, without an eight foot, so without a unison stop, I'll play out with a four foot flute only, so you can really hear the sort of sweet, uh, sweet character of the flute. And just as a comparison, if I were to play the same piece, I'll just start it again. If I were to play it with a principal instead of a flute, it would sound predictably uh, louder. 
So here how the sound, not only is it louder, but the sound is a little bit sharper and a little bit less sweet. Uh, that's, again, because of the scaling of the pipe. The third family is the string family, and this is usually the least represented family on any organ, and this, the same is, is the case here. We have only two string stops, and the string stops are constructed in the opposite way uh, as the flute. So flute is generally a slightly wider pipe than a principal. A string is generally a slightly narrower stop, and so it has a very... I don't know what, it's a very stringy quality, it's a thin, thin quality. So it's called a string, but it's not made by bowing a string. It's made just like, uh, the sound is made just like a normal pipe, but because the pipe is so thin in scale, it has kind of a stringy, wiry characteristic to it. Uh, so I'll play, here's a piece that um, uh, actually has a pedal line that's a very... Uh, it's a very string-like pedal line. It's like, it's kind of like a bowed, the, here's the pedal line. It's a very kind of like cello bowed line. So here's, here's an example of the strings. That's the, the, so the two strings, the two strings on the organ, you can see them on the swell manual. The swell is the uh, second manual on your spec sheet. It's the highest manual or the highest keyboard uh, is what we call it. Um, it's called, a, the manual is called a swell because, I think, um, the sound is able to swell, in other words, get louder and quieter with uh, a set of shades. You can't see them from down there. You can actually can barely see them from right here. Um, they're not working yet, so I can't demonstrate uh, how they work. But basically, uh, it works like, I don't know, what are the Venetian blinds? What are the blinds that are, I hate installing blinds. What are the blinds that are straight up and down that when you uh, pull the string, they open and shut that way? Anyway, that's the way this, uh, the shutters work on the swell. You, there's a pedal, and you open and shut it. And that's why that manual is called the swell. So the grate, the first, the main manual, the main keyboard on this instrument is not enclosed. That means the pipes, there's nothing in front of the pipes to keep them from sounding as loud as they do. But the swell manual has these shades in front that can be open, or they can be closed, or they can be half open, and that creates a, uh, that's one of, the, one of the ways to make a dynamic difference on the organ. Anyway, to get to Peter's question, the two stops that I just played on the swell are called uh, eight, fo eight foot, well here it's called the solitional, actually up here the, they've now changed the name to viola, I think. Please understand, a lot of these names are just, uh, well they're not made up, but they're just convention, they don't mean it. You could call the thing, you know, ten different things. The point is, it's the, it's the eight foot string. You could call it a violin, a viola, whatever you want. Um, so the, the name is, in many cases, completely beside the point, point, as long as you know what family the stop belongs to. So here it's called a viola, on your sheet it's called a solitional, and then you see the one right below it is called a celeste. That's an interesting stop. It's, two, it's, an, it's also a string, but it's uh, purposely out of tune. Let me, see if you, let me see if you can hear whether it's flat or sharp. So here's the, here's the uh, eight-foot string, middle C by itself. And then next I'll play the Celeste by itself. Can you hear how it's like slightly sharp? 
the, the, let me do it again. Here's the string, and then this last, and then together, together it creates a shimmer. Hear that? So if you have two sounds that are super close in pitch, but one is slightly off of pitch, it creates that kind of shimmer. So for instance, I don't use the Celeste when I'm accompanying um, a hymn because we want to encourage in-tune singing. So we don't use a stop that's purposely out of tune. But you might use it uh, to play, you know, you, often like some romantic, I know, big... It creates a nice effect in some in some literature, but it has it has its own purpose. So those are those two stops. Um, the fourth family is the reed family, uh, and it's the one kind of stop that does not make its sound like the others. I think I've included a diagram of a reed pipe. If you look at yeah, if you look at page six, the drawing down at the bottom. This is how a reed pipe works, um, much like you imagine air blows a reed which vibrates and that's what makes the sound. So in most of the organ pipes they play just like a recorder or whatever. You blow through a tube and the, it sounds at the lip. The reed pipe, that does not happen. Um, you see the reed there is called the tongue but you can imagine the, uh, the sound comes in from the bottom of the pipe and that when it hits that tongue or that reed, the reed vibrates uh, and it creates a very... <laughs> I don't know how to describe it other than a very reedy, it's a very thin, reedy sound. Uh, and let me play a song which we normally wouldn't do, but uh, just for the sake of example, just with reed stops, would sound something like this. One dead note. All right. We'll finish five minutes early so I can figure it out before the next service. Okay, so what I want to do next is just walk through, uh, walk through quickly the spec sheet and explain uh, what everything is, just so when you look at it, you have an idea, and you have an idea when you're listening to what you might be, uh, what you might be hearing. So if you look back, and I'm going to show you, I've taken pictures of what many of the uh, ranks look like, and you can sort of uh, get an idea of why they make the sound that they do. So if you turn back to your spec sheet, you see, again, the grate is the first thing listed, and that's the main manual, the first uh, or lowest manual. And uh, you can immediately infer here uh, what, what the flutes are, uh, because they're listed. But just starting from the top, the 16-foot prestant is just another word for principle. Uh, then you have, one of the unique things about this organ is you have two principles. An organ of this size generally wouldn't have two principles uh, on the same manual. But uh, we have the benefit of having inherited a bunch of pipes. And by a bunch, I mean like a third of the organ is inherited pipes from uh, an old 
1911 Weichart instrument from a church in the city whose name I forget, but it's beside the point now. Um, so uh, some of these pipes are new construction for this instrument, but about a third of the pipes are uh, over 100 years old and have been uh, refurbished and installed here. So see if you can tell the difference. These, uh, so here's a good question. Based on the description of the flutes and the principles and the strings, uh, let me just play a couple chords on the two principles one at a time and see if you can tell which one is, in a, is thinner, which one has a thinner scale. Uh, and I'll, I'll, hopefully you'll see what I mean. So here's, here's one example. That's what's called eight-foot principle, and here's what's called eight-second uh, principle. So you can hear that the second one is the thinner one, right? Because it's more string-like. So it has a more stringy quality, which means it's of a, of a narrower scale than the first principle. Uh, and it, it generally means it comes off as a little quieter in the space, uh, too. Uh, so those are the first two eight-foots. Then you come to a stop called the spire flute, which you can immediately infer is a kind of flute. Uh, you can also infer what the construction looks like based on the first word, which is spire. And you can see an example, I think, if you go to the pictures of the grate on page five. And if you look at, uh, if you look at image 17, um, it's a little hard to see, but I think you can imagine. If you look at the pipes that are... Uh, kind of on the right-hand side of image 17, you can see that they're slightly fatter on the bottom and skinnier on the top, um, uh, shaped kind of like a spire. And what that creates is kind of a hybrid effect. So basically, they're, basically what they are is they're flutes at the bottom. In other words, they're wide at the bottom. And then they get to be strings at the top of the pipe. And so it creates uh, it creates a sound that's kind of half flute and half string. It, it sounds like this, and I'll, I'll, show, I'll show you it compared to one of the other flutes so you can hear the difference. So here's the spire flute, which is a hybrid stop. And compare that to uh, one of the flutes on the swell, which we'll get to. Hear how that one is a lot more sweeter and a lot for a purer tone? It's because this, the first one, is a hybrid stop, so it has a stringy quality on the top of the pipe. It's a way of sort of manipulating the sound. Um, the next stop on the list that you come to is the four-foot octave. Uh, any stop that's named with some interval name just means it's a principle. It just is, sounds an octave above the eight-foot principle. So that's the four-foot principle. And then you come to a stop called the chimney flute. And as you can imagine, again, it's called the chimney flute because it's constructed like a chimney. You can see an example on page 5 on image 15. You see how uh, it looks like a normal pipe, but then at the very top it has a tiny little chimney uh, pointing out at the top of each pipe, and that creates... Uh, I'm not sure how to describe the effect. Here's what... Here's what uh, I, we would describe it kind of as a... Uh, I don't know, chiffier effect, but here, here's the chimney flute. Um, To, com to compare it with the four-foot flute on the swell, again, which is a kind of a sweeter sound. That's your comparison. But then the chimney flute has a more penetrating uh, sound. 
and that penetrating quality is created by that little chimney on top of uh, each of the pipes. So those are the two flutes on the grate, the spire flute and the chimney flute. Uh, okay, back to the uh, spec sheet. As is typical, most of the stops on the grate are principal stops. Now, that's the main manual. Those are the stops that we use especially to accompany hymns. We don't accompany hymns just with strings or just with flutes generally because they're too quiet and they have a more nuanced quality that doesn't support the singing. Uh, but the, most of the stops on here are of the principal family. And that's true of the next few. See, the next one is a twelfth. Remember we talked about how some of the, uh, how some of the stops don't speak in unison with the note you're playing. So if you play the twelfth, you're actually playing an octave and a fifth above the note you're playing. Then you have a stop called the fifteenth, which is two octaves above the note you're playing. Then you have a stop called the seventeenth, which is two octaves and a third above the note you're playing. And you see in the comments there, see how it says 2F3 all the way to the right-hand side of that stop? You can imagine why. So the question is, why does that stop not go all the way to the top of the keyboard? Well, you can imagine what the answer is, because by the time you get to a stop, remember, so the lowest pipe of that rank is one foot, uh, one and three-fifths three feet long. So you can imagine by the time you get to the highest note of that rank, the pipe would have to be so minuscule. Yeah, so generally organ builders, once the pipes begin to get less than um, like one inch in length, they generally just drop out. I think the reason is because if you have a pipe that's a half inch or whatever, it would just be almost, I, first of all, it would be so high. Remember how the highest pipe on this organ sounds? It's the two foot, the two foot principle sounds like this. I mean, once you get up there, the sound is so, it's, it's unpleasant to start with by itself. Um, but of course, I imagine it would be almost impossible to tune because if you, I mean, if you just breathed on a pipe that was half an inch long, it would knock it way out of tune uh, because it would be impossible to get it precisely right. So the point is, generally stops that are higher than two feet don't go all the way up the compass of the keyboard um, because they're just, the pipes would be too small and impossible to work with. So that's, that's what's true about the 17th. Then remember, we come to the mixture. And remember, this is the one instance where the number that you see there, that Roman numeral, doesn't refer to the length of the pipe. It refers to the number of pipes that I'm playing if I play just one note. So here, I'm either playing four ranks, five ranks, six ranks, or as many as seven ranks of pipes just by touching one note. And then we come to uh, the trumpet. Now, the trumpets on the organs are reed stops, even though a real orchestral trumpet is not made by playing a reed, right? You play a trumpet by buzzing your lips over a brass mouthpiece. Um, but you make a trumpet on the organ by vibrating a reed. Uh, so, for instance, uh, we have a stop, we'll get to it in a second, on the swell that's called a clarinet. It plays more like a clarinet, because that's how you play a clarinet, right? You blow across a reed that vibrates. Um, but an organ's trumpets and trombones and horns and those things are also called reeds because that's how the sound is made. Uh, that's, the, that's one of the stops that's not installed yet, so I can't uh, demonstrate it. Then, when we come to uh, the swell, most of the stops in the swell, which is the second manual here on your spec sheet, most of the stops in the swell are from this old 1911 instrument that I referred to. There's only, a, uh, I think, three stops that are new construction here. Uh, we start with the 16-foot borden, which is uh, a 16-foot flute. And remember, we talked last week, this is one of these examples of a, 
a, a rank of pipes that stopped on the top. There's like a plunger in the top, and that makes this uh, pitch speak one octave below what the length of the pipe is. Then we come to something called the traverse flute, which I think actually up here is now called a harmonic flute. Uh, if you look at page 6, you can see there in image 21 what these pipes look, at, look like. They look like normal pipes, except for one exception. Can you see there in image 21 how some of the pipes have like a tiny hole drilled into the middle of the pipe? Uh, it's because they discovered, I think this is a French, a French uh, technique from the uh, 19th century. They discovered where the, the pipe makes a certain uh, sweet sound if you overblow the pipe. So I don't remember if we talked about this last time or not. But you know, if you, have, if you have played a recorder, if you have a kid or a grandkid or whatever who's played you know, the recorder in fourth grade, what happens if you blow on the instrument too loud? It squeaks, right? Well, what actually happens, and this happens in any, in, in any kind of pipe-like uh, pipe -like sound, if you, overblow, if you overblow the pipe, it sounds at the next highest harmonic. In other words, you lose you lose the fundamental pitch and it skips up to the, uh, highest, to the next highest harmonic, which in this case is an octave above. So some of these, some of these pipes, remember how we talked about uh, how, some of the, how some of the pipes sound an octave below the length? These pipes actually sound, uh, now, now, I'm thinking, now I'm reversing what I'm saying. Uh, by overblowing the pipe, they sound an octave higher than, than they actually are. And the dot, the hole in the middle, helps that, helps that to happen. So we have on the swell a whole uh, chorus of harmonic flutes. They're all called different things. They're called uh, traverse flute, and then the next one's called four-foot harmonic flute, and then the two-foot one is called octavan. But they're all the same thing. They're all these little pipes that have holes in the middle of them. And they make this kind of a character. Those are the sweet ones that I was demonstrating earlier. They make this kind of character of sound. And especially, you can especially hear the different, you can especially hear it up higher. So the hole in the pipe helps the pipe to be overblown faster, which means it skips to the next harmonic, which is an octave above. Uh, the, there's another eight-foot flute. We already went over the two strings, which are the next two things, the solitional and the celeste. Those are the two strings that Peter asked about. The next, uh, pipe is a, the next rank is a stopped diapason, which is another flute. Now, remember last time I talked about how if you stop a pipe, uh, maybe I didn't mention this, we talked about the, the difference it makes in the pitch, but there's also a difference in quality. If you stop a pipe, uh, you eliminate some of the harmonics, and it creates a duller, more fundamental sound. So let me play for you the two flutes that are on the uh, swell and see if you can tell which is the open flute and which is the stopped flute. Does that make sense? So one of them is stopped. It's plunged. It's, you can see. Uh, here, where's the, where's the picture? Page uh, 6. Uh, you can see on image, doo -doo -doo -doo, on image 20, one of the pipes I'm going to play for you is the wooden pipe right in the uh, center there, the stopped one. And the other one is the pipe immediately to the right of it, which is the open flute. See if you can tell the difference between the stopped pipe and the open pipe. There's one, and here's the other one. 
Here how the second one is not only a little quieter, but it's a, dull, it's a duller character. Here's that one. And then the open flute. It's a much more sort of robust, romantic-y, real flute-sounding uh, flute stop. And that's created because the one is a stopped pipe and the other is an open uh, pipe. Uh, and then uh, on this manual, let's see, let's keep reading down the, uh, down the list. We have that. We have a four-foot principle. You know what that is now. You have a four-foot harmonic flute and the octavan. Those are both uh, flutes. Then we have a mixture here. Also, it's a smaller mixture. You can see it's a less. Here it's 3-4. That means it's uh, a smaller mixture than the mixture on the grate. And then we have three reeds. It's normal for the swell to have most of the reeds. Two of them are available right now for us. The oboe is not in yet. But the bass clarinet sounds uh, like this. And then you have a trumpet, which is an eight-foot stop. And they make a nice effect together. So those are the two reeds we have uh, available right now on the uh, swell. Then if you uh, continue down the spec sheet, you find the pedal, uh, the pedal next. And uh, here we have an open wood, which we'll talk about in just a second. Um, uh, you see a 16-foot preston. This is, uh, you see in the comments of the preston, it says duplex borrow grate. That just means it's the same rank of pipes from the grate. You can pull the stop on the grate, or you can pull it on the pedal, and it's the same, uh, it's the same pipes. Then you have a board in 16-foot, which is a 16-foot flute. You have an open diapason, which is the principle on the pedal. Then a bass flute. Then an octave, 4-foot, which is the 4-foot principle. Then you have a spindle flute. You can see uh, how that uh, effect is created. If you look at the pedal pictures on page 7, uh, you see on image 27, the spindle flute is the flute that has that little uh, kind of conical capper on it. And it also creates its own um, uh, kind of sweet quality. This is what it sounds like. So it also has a kind of a very sweet quality, uh, but also kind of a penetrating quality that's caused by that little a conical hat that the pipe wears. Uh, and then, after the spindle flute, you have a mixture. And you see here that the mixture in the comments is listed as 120 pipes prepared. That just means that we don't own the pipes. The organ is just prepared for those pipes to be installed. You can see an image, uh, that same image, in image 27, See how in the middle of the picture there's a big piece of wood there with nothing on it? That's where the mixture goes in the uh, pedal wind chest if we were to buy or to own those pipes. It's all, I don't know, I know one of you is going to ask how much it costs. I don't know how much it costs to add those pipes. But it's all ready to go. There's a stop on the console that goes to that mixture. We just didn't buy it as a part of the, um, as the, part of the contract for this instrument. And then you have uh, the two reeds, the trombone and the trumpet. And the trombone is the big, uh, impressive 16-foot reed.
which sounds like that. And then the trumpet uh, is the eight foot, it speaks that concert pitch. And then together they sound. So those are the two reeds that uh, the pedal has. Let me just uh, let me just say something about what I think the uh, distinctive stops are on this instrument. So obviously every instrument has certain voices that kind of make it unique, right? Let me just highlight before we're done the four. Uh, st stops that I consider to be uh, kind of characteristic of this instrument. The first is the very first one listed on the grate, the 16-foot prestant. Um, if you look at the specs later on, uh, you remember I included some, or the specs, the comps, sorry. Remember how I included some uh, other prominent instruments that are being built? You'll notice like the, the, the Bach organ in Boston on page 9 and the Bach organ in Goshen on page 10 they each have a 16-foot stop on the main manual, but in both cases, it's a borden. In other words, it's a stopped, uh, it's a stopped flute. We have a 16-foot, a full 16-foot principle, and as you can imagine, a full 16-foot stop like that comes with a significant cost. So I know that uh, when we were doing the bids on this organ, whatever, 10 years ago, um, this is one of the things that made this organ more expensive than some of the others that were being uh, that were being considered. But the builder insisted that we have this 16-foot stop on the grate because it was so important for congregational singing. And it's the one that I demonstrated earlier that really adds sort of a, a foundation or a gravity to the sound. And it's important for uh, it's important for good breathing on singing. Um, the second stop on the grate that I would consider to be really characteristic of this instrument is, that se is the seven-rank mixture. That's a very big mixture. Um, and you can hear, uh, of course, what a big difference it makes if you pull, uh, pull just eight, four, and two principles. And then you add the mixture, which adds as many as seven other pipes to the sound. You can imagine it makes a big difference immediately. And it, uh, having a mixture that is that big really creates an immediate uh, brilliance to the sound. So I think those are the two stops on the grate that are kind of unique and gives this instrument uh, its, uh, some of its individual character. Uh, the other two stops that are uh, especially important, I think, are on the pedal. I already played for you that big trombone. Uh, this, uh, this stop is interesting because it's a good example of uh, what some people sometimes ask, which is what's the difference between the metal stops, most of the stops on this organ you can see are made of metal, or lead primarily, what's the difference between the metal stops and the wooden stops? Well, here's a good example of where it doesn't necessarily make the difference uh, that you think. Let me play down the scale and see where you can tell, see if you can tell where the uh, pipe changes from metal to wood. You can see on your spec sheet, if you look at the trombone, second from the end there, you see the material is listed as poplar, comma, copper. That means that uh, the first few notes are wood, and then the next, the rest on up are, are copper. See if you can tell where the, uh, where the rank breaks from copper to poplar. Uh, 
Now you could tell because actually the, the, the one note spoke slightly slower than the other. I, could, I don't know if you could tell that. But it breaks right here. between here's, I think this is the, the lowest uh, metal pipe. And this is the highest wooden pipe. You might be able to hear a slight difference. The wood is uh, slightly more muted than the metal. But the point is, it sounds nearly identical. Um, and uh, this 16-foot trombone is of a very large scale. It's, uh, it's a giant rank. You can see the photo of it. Uh, where is it? Like if you look, yeah, like an image 26. It's those, uh, and it, in fact, you can almost see it from the very front in the chapel there. It's the pipes that uh, needed to be cut down a little bit because they were a little too long for the, ce the ceiling. It's the, the giant wooden pipes on the left-hand side of image 26. Um, the other and the final stop that uh, really makes this organ unique is the, is the open wood, those pipes that had been back there for all those many years. Uh, you can see those on image, uh, where are they? image 25, right? You recognize those from having been back there for a long time. Those are from another instrument, too. They're not freshly made, but they're not from the 1911 instrument. I can't remember what they're from. But uh, apparently by themselves, that rank alone is worth, like, $40,000 or something, just because the, uh, the scale of those pipes is so massive, and if you come up here and look at them, you can imagine the amount of air that's needed to go through that pipe. It's not a rank that you would use by itself, but let me just play it by itself so you can hear the sort of gravity that it adds to the sound. You can hear that, I mean, you can barely make out what the pitch is, right? It's just more of a feeling than anything else, which is why you wouldn't play it by itself. But it really adds, when you're, uh, when you're accompanying hymns or something, it really adds, uh, uh, again, a lot of that foundation that's required to get good breathing and good singing into the sound. So it's a very soft stop, but because of its giant scale, it's really valuable to us in terms of sort of accompanying hymns. Um, I think what we're going to do now is stop because I'm going to make a quick attempt to fix the uh, trumpet that we, discovered, <laughs> that we discovered is dead before I have to start playing in the second service. Um, but uh, I'll ch thanks for those of you who have come up even between the services now to look at things. If you ever want, again, I'll offer the same thing, if you ever want to come and play or to poke your head around or to walk the walkway or whatever, uh, please just come and ask me. I mean, I'll have it open uh, after the 11 o'clock service now. But I'll try. To, I won't be here next week, but uh, in July we'll be here every week. Uh, and I'll try to remember to just have the space open. And you can just remind me if uh, I forget. You're welcome to come at any point and poke around and play around and sort of see for yourself uh, what things look like and sound like. Okay, thank you very much.